In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey recounts this story about C.S. Lewis. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if anything, made Christianity unique in its faith. And what they did is they began by eliminating the possibility. Was it incarnation? Well, no. Other religions had stories of gods coming in human form. Was it the idea of resurrection? Well, again, no. Other religions had accounts of those being raised from the dead. And this debate went on for some hours. And at some point, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room, and he asked, he said, well, what's all the rumpus about? And his fellow conferees told him what they were discussing. And without missing a beat, C.S. Lewis said, well, that's easy. It's great. And after talking about it for some time, they all came to they, they, they all came to an agreement that yeah, grace was what it, was the thing that set Christianity apart from all other religions, because the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, with no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. And if you take a look at the other religions around the world, it goes completely against. Them. You think about it: the Buddhists have the eightfold path. The Hindu had the doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law. Each one offers a way for the believer to earn their approval or to earn their salvation. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. When you turn to the page of the New Testament, you look at Acts 20 and verse 24. Paul speaks of the ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus. And in Acts 20 and verse 24, he says that that ministry was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, most of us are familiar with that the word gospel means good news and the word grace means unmerited favor. So what Paul was given was the ministry to proclaim the good news that God had provided a way for mankind to be saved from their sins. And that he had done this without requiring merit on the part of sinners. That's what Paul went out to preach. Paul went out to preach to everyone that we're lost in our sin, but God has provided a way for us to be saved. And it's not something where we have to earn our approval. God loves us because we are His creation. God loves us unconditionally. He requires our obedience. But it's through His grace that we can be saved. Most of us probably are familiar with this, and I, I hope that our lesson this morning, maybe it serves as a reminder how wonderful the gospel is, how wonderful the gospel of the grace of God is. What we're going to do this morning, we're going to, we're going to examine three areas. We're going to talk about, first off, the need for grace. Why is it so important? We're going to talk about how God provided the grace. And then finally, we're going to talk probably about the most important thing, and that is the reception of God's grace. But before we get into our study, as is our custom here, let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll begin our study together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful to be here this morning. We're so grateful for this opportunity that you give to us to come together and to worship and to study, to sing songs of praise to you, Father. And we love you and we thank you so much for allowing us to have your word revealed to us. We thank you, Father, for the grace that you've extended to us, and we pray that you will help us, Father, to realize how wonderful it is and how amazing this grace is that you have extended to us. 
how desperately we need it, Father, and how through Your love You sent Your Son to die so that we might be able to have our sins forgiven and that we can receive the grace that You've extended to us. Father, we pray that if there are those here this morning who have never received Your grace, who have never come to appreciate the gift that You have offered and have never submitted to You in obedience, we pray that this very morning that we will be able to study together and to help the one realize what they need to do so that they can receive Your grace, Father, and be forgiven of their sin. Thank You, Father, for sending Your Son and for allowing us this time this morning to study together. Be with us throughout this study. In Christ's name, Amen. Before we can begin to appreciate the grace that God has, has extended to us, we need to spend some time, we need to talk about why do we need it? Why is it so necessary? If you think about the, if you read through the page of the New Testament, you come to find out that the Bible does an amazing job at describing man's true condition. While we sometimes want to say that we're perfect and we want to sometimes think that, well, we are above things, that we're doing pretty good, if you take yourself and you look at, you look at yourself against the mirror of the Bible, what we find out is we're far from perfect. Romans 3 and verse 23, Paul says, For all the sin that falls short of the glory of God. James 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. You even go back into the page of the Old Testament in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Later in chapter 64, he says, But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our unrighteousnesses are like filthy rags. There's not a one of us who can stand here and say that we are sinless. There's not a one of us who can stand here and say that we are perfect. Therefore, there's not a one of us who can stand here this morning or at any point in time in our life and point our finger at God and say, God, because I'm so perfect, I deserve to be allowed into heaven. If we look at ourselves in the mirror of the Bible, we find out that we are we're sinners. We are sinners in need of salvation. We must all plead guilty. There's not a one of us here who is of accountable age who cannot say, I've never sinned. We all at some point have transgressed the will of God. Even the very best among us is without merit in the sight of God. You think that we all have these people in our life. We all have these people who we look up to as these super Christians. We look at them and we hold them in such high esteem because they strive to serve God. They strive to do exactly what God says, and we hold them up in such high regard, and we think, surely that person never sinned. Maybe that's an elder, maybe it's a preacher, maybe it's a family member, but we all have those people. Even the very best person among us is without merit in the sight of God. It's because of these sins that we have, it's because of these sins that we commit that we are alienated from God. And we are separated. It's like the verse from Isaiah that we just talked about. Your sins have separated you from God. They have alienated us. We have taken our relationship with God and we have, and we have broken it because of the sins that we commit. If we allow those sins to remain in our life and we don't do anything about them, we will be eternally separated from God. We will be condemned to hell rather than being in heaven where God is. And the worst thing about it the worst thing about this problem of sin that, that each and every one of us has, this infection that each one of us has, this disease that each one of us is inflicting with, the worst part about it is, on our own we can do nothing to get rid of it. On our own there is, some, there is nothing that we can do. We can't say, I've committed a hundred bad deeds, therefore I'll do a hundred good things and the two will cancel each other out. It doesn't work that way. We can't do like Jacob did. 
that Kurt, that Kurt read about. We can't say, well, here's what I want. I'll work seven years for it. I'll erase all the bad things that I did, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my reward. It doesn't work that way. If it was left up to you and I, we would be stuck in our sins. But that's where the grace of God comes into the picture. That's where the grace of God comes in. Because not only can God forget about our sins, not only can He block them out of His memory, He can take our sins and He can save them from us. He can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. We sing the song, Amazing Grace. It is. Because without that grace, we're stuck. Without that grace, we are lost in our sins. That grace of God takes those sins and He makes them as if they never happened. We sing the song, His grace reaches me. Brethren, thanks be to God that it does. Because if His grace didn't reach us, where would we be? We would be stuck in our sins. And what do our sins do? Our sins alienate us from God. Therefore, we would be stuck, eternally separated from our God and Father. The one place that we so desperately want to be, we would have no hope of getting there if it was not for the grace of God. So many things about the grace of God is easy. So many things, when you, when you study the subject of grace, so many things are easy because God has done, God's done the work. But this is the hard part. Because we have to acknowledge, we have to recognize, we have to be willing to put, put aside our pride and say, I am a sinner. I know on the outside I want to appear to everyone that I'm perfect. And I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. But we have to be willing to put that aside and say, I am a sinner who is in need of salvation. I laugh at dirty jokes. I look at things on the internet or on TV that I shouldn't look at. I lie. I participate in things I have no business participating in. I go places I shouldn't go and I do things I shouldn't do. There's not a one of us in here who, again, who is of accountable age who, who cannot say that. And so it shouldn't be one of these things where we are afraid to admit where we're wrong. Paul encourages us, confess your sins to one another. Why does he say that? Because we're all in the same boat, brethren. I've done despicable things in my life that I'm ashamed of. And that's why I need the grace of God. And I imagine that you're in the same boat. And so, because of our situation, because God realized that we are sinners, that we have done things that, that on our own we cannot get rid of, God provided His grace. But how did He do that? Or why did He do that? Well, first off, God provided His grace for us. It was, his motivation for it was love. It was out of love that God provided us His Son. Because God loved us, He sent His Son to die. You can quote it with me. You can quote John 3.16. And unfortunately, so many people misuse it. But the verse is true. First John, I mean, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, what did He do? That He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. You, you turn over to 1 John chapter 4, and you look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So 
was because God loved us that He sent His Son to die. Now, you think about this. You think about the amount of love that God would have to have for us to allow His Son to come into this world and to die for the sins of those who may never follow Him, to die for the sins of those who may never care and who may take that sacrifice and throw it aside. When I start to think, when I stop and think about this, and I think about God allowing His Son to come and die, and those of you who are, who are in the audience and who have children or who have grandchildren, you, you can appreciate this as well. Maybe this is a shortcoming of mine, but I am not. I am not going to allow someone to take Emma or to take Jamie back and to, and to, to kill them for someone who may not even appreciate it. I'm not going to allow my daughters to be taken and to be beaten and to be hurt and to be and to be killed, and then the person who I let that my, my little girl die for not even care about it. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry, I am not going to do that. But that's why God's God, and I'm not. Because God had this type of love that was so deep. He had this type of love that is so excuse me, that is so uncomprehensible to us that He said, I'm going to put aside my Son. I'm going to take my Son and I'm going to put Him aside because He needs to be sacrificed because these people down here need a Savior. He loved us. He loved you that much. I know you, you've heard somebody say at some point, take your name and put it in the verse there in John 3.16. I think that's appropriate. I think that's right. If that's what helps drive the point home, then do that. Because that's exactly what he did. We sometimes want to think about, well, God, yes, yes he, sent, he, he sent Jesus and all these people sure do need him. No. Wait a second. Yes, all those people do need him. But you need him. And so do I. If God hadn't loved me enough to send his son, where would I be? If he, hadn't, if he hadn't loved you enough to send, to send his son, where would you be at? He sent his son to be a propitiation. The idea of a propitiation is a sacrifice that is designed to appease. God offered his son to appease himself. He sent his son to die and to make a sacrifice that you and I could not make. The unfortunate thing is so many times we look at that, yes, we look at that sacrifice, and what do we think? Well, it didn't cost me anything. Did I have to be beaten? No. Did I have a crown of thorns put on my head and dripped? No. Was I nailed to the cross? No. What did it cost me? You see, to, to you and I, it was a free gift. But it was a very costly one to God. And it was a very costly one to Christ. Because what did Christ have to endure? He had to endure the physical suffering. He had to die on the cross. What did God have to, to observe? He had to endure watching His Son go through all of that. He had to endure seeing His Son be rejected by men and beaten and crucified and all that kind of stuff. What did we lose? It's like the story of the woman who went to the store to buy a sweater. And she was, on a, she was on a budget, so the first thing she did is she went to the clearance rack and she looked through and she found a sweater there that she liked. She put it on, it fit perfectly. She took it up to the counter, she paid for it, she paid $8 for it. 
I hate that Joelle is not here. Joelle is a bargain shopper. She would appreciate this. But she took, so she took, the, she took the $8 sweater home, and she went home, and she was going to put it on. She was going to show her husband. And as she went to put it on, she decided she was going to take the tag off of it. And she just happened to notice the original price of the sweater, $124. She paid $8. What at one time appeared to be just an $8 sweater was actually a very costly thing that she had just purchased. So many times we look at the gift of Christ or the gift of God and the sacrifice of Christ and we think, well, it didn't cost me anything. But do you realize how much it cost God? Do you realize how much it cost Christ? And do you realize what, why that happened? It wasn't because we earned it. It was because He loved you. He loved you that much. And God said, I'm going to allow my son to die. But Christ said, I'll endure the affliction. I'll endure the pain. I'll endure the suffering. And I can't help but make this point here. And this, this, is, this is a hard point to make. But Christ did all of that. God did all of that. And then what do I do? I take that sacrifice and I set it aside. And I go and I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. I go and I do the very opposite of what Christ wants me to do. He loved me so much that this is what He did. But I'm going to take his word, I'm going to close it up, I'm going to put it on the shelf, and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. You see, that's, that's where the hard part comes in. That's where it gets a little close to home. When you think about, he loves me that much, and then what do I do? I turn around and I set aside his sacrifice. But it wasn't just love. It wasn't only love why, why Christ died for us. It was also out of God's justice that He provided a means for us to access this grace. To satisfy His justice, God provided redemption through the blood of His Son. If you will turn over to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3, we'll, we'll read verses 24 through 26. Paul writes, actually beginning in verse 23, a verse we quoted earlier, of Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, God's grace functions in this way. God's justice requires an appropriate sacrifice to be made for sin. Because He loves us, He provided His Son as that sacrifice. And God recognized the death of Jesus on the cross as a suitable ransom for our sins, paid in full. You see, God's justice would not allow Him to create a creature with a sinful nature such as ours. To create a creature that had a free will that could choose right or wrong, knowing that we would choose sin from time to time. God could not create us and then not allow us some type of way of being sanctified, of being saved from our sin. And so what did God do? He realized a perfect sacrifice had to be made. Were there any animals that could suffice for that? Well, no. Were there any good deeds that we could do that would pay the debt? No. 
What did God recognize? He recognized the only way that, that He could just, He could be just and the justifier was to allow His Son to die. You see, when it came down to it, what, what it is is because of our sin, it all points back to Christ. He is the answer. He was the one through whom this grace was going to be given to us by God. To satisfy both His justice and His love, God graciously provided salvation through Christ. What we could not earn, God has provided for us. And when we stop and we think about the magnitude of that, when we stop and we really think about if it was not for this one event, if it was not for the fact that Christ died, I would be lost. Maybe we don't have have a good enough appreciation for what that really means. But God recognized that we needed His grace. And so He said, here, I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to allow him to die. So now the question we turn to is the reception of God's grace. We know we need it. We realize that we are sinful. We realize that God has provided it. That His Son was the answer. His Son is the answer. So what about receiving the grace of God? Well, the reception of God's grace requires obedience. There's no way around that. You look in the Bible... You look through the pages of the New Testament and you find time and time again where obedience is what is, is the answer to receiving the grace of God. Jesus is the author or the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him according to Hebrews 5 and verse 9. Freedom from sin comes when we are willing to obey from the heart the gospel of Christ. If you're in Romans, turn over a couple of chapters to Romans chapter 6. Verses 17 and 18, Paul writes this, he said, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were, to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You see, it's the idea that we put off that old man of sin. We, we're no longer slaves to sin, but rather we become slaves of righteousness through our obedience to Christ. This obedience involves trusting that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sin. We can all probably quote John 3.16. We've heard it a million times. Do we truly believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and who died for our sins so that we can be saved through Him? Obedience involves confessing our sins before men. Uh, not confessing our sins, rather confessing our faith before men. You turn over to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes and says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 of chapter 10, For with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There were those in the days of Christ while He was on the earth that, that believed in Him, but they were not willing to stand up and say so. They were afraid of the repercussions that might come. What Christ wants from us and what God requires from us is that if we believe in Christ, we should stand up and we should shout it from the hilltops. We should say, yes, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized into Christ. I believe that He died for me and I'm going to serve Him to the best of my ability. 
our Christianity should not be something that we keep hidden in the closet. Rather, it should be something that shines forth from us so that everyone who comes in contact with us sees Christ living in us. And we're not ashamed to say so. That's part of obeying Christ, is being willing to stand up and say, I am one of His. I love Him and I serve Him and I want to tell you about it. Part of, the, part of obeying Christ is being willing to confess the sins that you and I know we have and to repent of them. Again, this is, such a, this, this is where the hard part comes in because we have to put aside our pride. We have to put aside that, that arrogance that sometimes we have and we have to be willing to say, I have sinned. What did Peter tell the, tell the, the people on the day of Pentecost we were in Acts 2 in verse 38? They said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did he tell them? Repent! Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin. It's not this idea that we ignore our sins and we hope that they'll go away. If, if I don't deal with them, eventually I'll get far enough away from them that they're no longer there anymore. That's, that's not what we read about in the Bible. We read about in the Bible people who, when they realized they were in sin, they repented of it. They, they turned 180 degrees from it and went the other way. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17 and verse 30. That's part of this obedience to God. Culminating in, in being buried with Christ in baptism for the remission of our sins. We could spend an entire lesson talking about this point. But what was it that Christ taught? Mark 16, 15 and 16. Most can probably quote that as well. When he told his disciples to go and teach the word, what did he tell them? Go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. What was it that Ananias told Saul to do after Saul had been praying for three days? He had been praying. He had been genuinely, earnestly praying. He had been fasting. He had been doing what most would probably consider to be enough to have those sins taken away. But what did Ananias come and tell him to do? Brother Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. See, brother, what God has done is He realized that you and I needed His grace because we were lost in our sin. And so He provided His Son so that we might have access to that grace and so we might have access to have our sins forgiven. What does He want us to do? He asks our obedience. Have you noticed what He didn't ask you to do? He didn't ask you to go and offer yourself on the cross. He didn't ask you to take your child and to offer them. He didn't ask you to kill a thousand bulls or a thousand goats and a thousand rams and go and offer them on a on a altar in Jerusalem. He said, here's my word. Obey it. But let us not be mistaken in thinking this. Well, I confessed. Check. I've repented. Check. I was baptized. Check. All right, Lord. I did all these things. You des- I deserve to go to heaven now. When it comes down to it, we have to remember that salvation is by the grace of God. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done according to Titus 3. It's by the mercy and the grace of God that He saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. When a penitent sinner who trusts in Jesus is baptized into Christ, he or she is united with Christ. 
We are clothed with Him. We have the blood of Christ that washes over us and takes those sins away. As we draw our lesson to a close, I'm going to share a story with you. Not all aspects of the story do I agree with, but I think the story goes to serve the point of our lesson this morning. There was a young man who, for the sake of our illustration, we'll call him Michael, who was attending seminary school. And he took a required course in clinical pastoral education. And each seminary was assigned to be a chaplain in a hospital or another institution. And one night a week, each, one, each person was on call for some type of emergency. Well, late one night, Michael received a phone call. and He was called to go down to the Alexian Brothers Medical Center in the Chicago suburbs. What had happened was a 16-year-old girl had been out driving with a friend. And she had backed into a light pole. And the light pole had fallen on the car. While the 16-year-old wasn't hurt, one of the passengers in the car, a 12-year-old, was hurt severely. In fact, by the time the parents got to the hospital, the child was brain dead. And so Michael spent time with the family as, he, as they went through the grueling realization of what had happened to their daughter and the fact that they were going to need to just remove her from life support because there wasn't really much hope of her getting better. The following morning, Michael visited the room of the 16-year-old driver and as I said, physically she was fine. But you can imagine, emotionally, she was a wreck. And as Michael spent time with her, the girl, the girl told Michael that she was going to do everything that she could for the parents of the little girl that, that she had killed. She said to him, I'm going to be like a daughter to her parents. I'm going to go over there every, to their house every day. I'm going to babysit for them. I'll wash the dishes for them every night. I'll go over there every week and I'll mow their lawn. Michael gradually had to help this, this young woman realize the truth that no matter what she did, she could never replace the daughter that was lost. All she could do was she could beg the forgiveness, forgiveness of the parents and pray that they would forgive her. Now, amazingly, the parents forgave the girl. She was set free from trying to pay back a debt that she could never repay. And when you think about our relationship with God, it's the same thing. We have sinned so greatly. We have transgressed the will of God in so many ways that there is no way that we on our own could go and could repay that debt. But what God has done is He said, I realize you can't repay it. I realize you on your own can't work your way out of it. Here is my son. He will offer you the way. He will make for you the way out of your sin. Do we appreciate that? Do we value that? We hit our knees every night and thank God that He did that for us. I guess the question now is, is why do some people not respond to God's saving grace? If, if it's so amazing, if, it, if it's as powerful as we talked about this morning, why is it some don't receive that grace? 
Well, a lot of times I think it's because we don't realize our need for the grace. People think of themselves as being good, moral people. I know people who, they don't cuss, they don't drink, they don't steal, they, they, they do all these great things. They're, they're good, moral people. Why would I need to, to do anything else? I'm a, I'm a good person. But again, when we hold ourselves up to the mirror of the Bible, what are we? We're all sinners in need of salvation. And so we need the grace of God. Maybe before this morning you didn't realize how God had provided that grace for you. Maybe you didn't understand about the sacrifice that He made of giving His Son and the sacrifice that Christ made in dying for you. A lot of times I think that the reason that people don't receive the grace of God is that they've never been actually taught the proper way of receiving God's grace. If you were to go and you were to look at all the various religions, you would be probably going to find hundreds of different ways that people teach. When you look at the Bible, we are taught a consistent message. We come in humble obedience to Christ, back being baptized into His into His body, into His blood. We have our sins washed away because of that great sacrifice that He made. I hope we appreciate what has been extended to us. I hope we appreciate the grace that God has, has given to us and appreciate where we would be if it were not for God, if it were not for Christ, if it were not for Him extending to us the grace for which we, for which we don't deserve and allowing us access to the forgiveness of our sins, something that we could not do on our own.